my tombstone is going to say he used it all up. What lies here is the husk of Earl H. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Greetings from Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas. That was the voice once more of Mr. Earl H. that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will hear so much more from him in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode is being brought to you by, being sponsored by, if you will, Laura and Tanya. Do you know what Laura and Tanya did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and they clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much, Laura and Tanya. This episode is coming right out to Ewans. I, John, am just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. Well, we had Earl H. last week, and we're going to have a little bit more Earl H. this week. This episode is called, He Used It All Up. And that is what Earl wants to be said on his tombstone. He says, he wants on his tombstone to say he used it all uh, up. All that lies here is the husk (laughs) of Earl H. (laughs) That's a great way to put that. We talk about um, when, how one is in their addiction, they love like a ghost. We talk about Earl's vision for the companies that he built. Uh, uh, His motto was, and I guess probably still is, make a lot of money doing the right thing. And where he got that inspiration for that motto. Uh, We talk about the definition of trudge from a 1939 dictionary. Uh, And Earl talks about, and I have loved this, I've thought about it many times in meetings lately. He says, it is, what, what is, quote, the beast whispering in your ear? And what does that mean? Earl explains it. Earl discusses Franklin W. from Olive Branch, Mississippi, and the six words that he shared that Earl recognized as the truth. Uh, We have some discussion about Earl's work in the recovery world uh, as an interventionist and much, much more. You're going to enjoy this one. Uh, It is really entertaining, Uh, entertaining, informative, and something that I know you're going to get a lot out of. So... We, keep in mind, we will have plenty of listener feedback on the end of this episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So we are here with Mr. Earl H. <laughs> One more time. You can't see him, but he's uh, pointing. Hey, everybody. Right now, like, we're on. Let's okay, go. So Earl, let's go. Let's so get Earl. after this. Right, because you were saying let's some stuff two just hours a moment ago. 30 minutes. Let's go. <laughs> That's my okay, motto. so Earl, Earl, go ahead, introduce yourself, 
Give your sobriety date if you wish, and then we'll get this thing started. Sure. My, name, my name is Earl H. In that case, uh, I've been sober um, since November 6th of 1980. Uh, so last November, I celebrated 41 years. Uh, not doing all the things that I was quite involved in. Um, I'm a down and out guy. You know, I like heart and lungs working. That's what I like. That's my idea of a good night's checking my pulse. Just, I like down and out, you know, alcohol, heroin, barbiturates. You know, these are a few of my favorite things. That's what I like. But, but, you know, because I am this creature that we speak of, if there isn't any of that available, I'll take a big bag of cocaine. I'll take, you know, any, you know, let's go. Because what I've learned in recovery is that, and all my knowledge is hindsight and listening to others that have gone before me or listening to those who are coming up behind me as well, that it's not about up or down, really. I mean, we like to focus on, yeah, I'm a junkie or, yeah, you know, I'm a meth head or, yeah, I'm a, that we're specialists somehow, that we like to go up or down. And, and I will tell you genuinely, I prefer down. But I prefer down. I will go up if it's the only option I have because the truth beneath all that, right, the underpinning is this. It's all about getting out of right here, right now. That's what addiction is about. It's the, the, the now is intolerable. And I, I have to get out of here because I'm restless, I'm irritable, I'm discontented. I'm... Um, being chased by my demons and they're and they're making ground on me. <laughs> you know, I can feel that hot breath on the back of my neck. You know, or I'm already strung out, and you know the level of whatever I'm doing in my bloodstream is dipping, and I'm starting to get sick. You know, or things are starting to get real again. Or you know, uh, and I can't have it. I you know, I'll face the possibility of death rather than face the trauma that I'm being constantly triggered by and that's creating this sense of, in my case, enormous anxiety that caused me to be prone to behavior that I would never even consider as a sober man. I haven't raised my hand to another human being in 38 years, 39 years. Um, my first couple of years sober, I was a little sketchy, <laughs> but, but out there, you know, I was, I was quick to get at it. You know what I mean? At, all fear-based, not, not a tough guy, just fear-based, you know, and I come from a violent home. So, you know, my world was, you know, like what's going on, hit it in the face, whatever it is, you know, that's, that attitude was what I thought the whole world was. Don't trust anybody when frightened, attack. You know, and as a male growing up, you know, around, you know, an extremely violent male, fear was also unacceptable. So if you got frightened, how you overcame your fear was you raged over the top of it, right? So fear turned into rage because fear was unacceptable. You know, you were frightened and you cannot be that guy. So you rage into this other thing. And, you know, that's that, you know, you're going to want to drink that down. You're going to want to shoot that down. You're going to want to do whatever it is you do out there to, to create a docile condition, a nonviolent atten- uh, uh, condition, a condition that does not attract attention. You know, because when you're deep in your addiction, you live like a ghost, right? Nobody nobody knows the whole truth. Nobody really knows who you are. You don't talk about how you're feeling. And how are you? Fine, fine. I'm fine. No matter what's happening, I'm fine. Well, then what are you doing in the emergency room? Well, I got this little wound i gotta get some stitches so you know how'd you get that well a guy stabbed me but you know you really can't blame him the way i was acting you know i mean it's just certain things that like normal people just look at you and go oh my god who are you and you know you're looking at them like is there a problem here i don't know <laughs> did i say something to to upset somebody I don't, you, you're so lost 
in that life. So when you come in, you know, and I was out in it every day straight from 12 to 20, 28, right, for, for 16 years straight, right? And, you know, pretty specific years, 12 to 28, you know what I mean? My entire adulthood, essentially, up to that point, was, you know, completely driven by my addiction. So when I got sober, I appeared as a grown man. And what I was was a frightened child with no idea how to be in the world and act properly, act accordingly, act like I fit in or I belonged or I had any idea how to move through a day. Uh, I didn't have those skills. So I had to learn all that. And thank God I ended up you know, a, a part of a fellowship um, that was made up of people just like me, who welcomed people just like me. So there was, in fact, a community that was available. And I didn't understand. I mean, I knew that I always wanted to be a part of a family. And that was taken from me at a very early age, which I think we talked about. Um, you know, I left home when I was 12. And when I went back to try to be a part of my family, the day I went back, we had the plane crash and everybody died but me in my family. And, uh, you know, I uh, um, was convinced that that was not something that was for me, that I was allowed to have. So when I come in, you know, I get, I get, start to get sober and these people are kind and welcoming and inviting me to, be, you know, go out to coffee with them after, after they, you know, gather and, 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 talking to me, asking me, and it was, I found it so curious that when they would ask me, how are you, they actually stood still and waited for a response. It wasn't just in passing, like, hey, how you doing, man? You know what I mean? And they would stop and look at me and say, how are you? And wait for me to tell them. Now, that's not something a normal person would even notice. I, I want to tell you that uh, and people don't know this, but we've had a couple conversations offline and getting prepared for these interviews. Sure. But I noticed that a couple different times you paused in the middle of all of it. Maybe we were trying to get some technical things straightened out or whatever. And you, you said, Hey, hold on, John, tell me about you. How, how are you? And you were genuinely interested and we had a conversation about that so that particular skill set i'm assuming is not something you came into aa with no i learned it i learned it you know it, it watching the community engage me reach out to me show me see that's the lo lovely thing about a, a good community of any kind is that they don't tell you how to do stuff. They show you. And that's what these people did. And um, they suggest that you get a guide, right? And a, a, a particular individual that, that you connect with every day and, and take counsel from and defer to and, and learn about, um, what it is, in fact, they're offering, right? And how to get that, right? So I got one of those guys, and uh, I called him up and did what he told me to do every day for uh, almost 14 years, up until the day he died. Um, he saved my life. He was the physical embodiment of the ideas that were coming my way. This, this notion of recovery, this notion, why, what is that, right? How do, what is a good way to live, right? What are the tenets of a meaningful life, right? What, what does, a, a, um, what makes up a good life, you know? Because what, and I've, since I do a lot of workshops and trainings and uh, um, I do counseling, uh, uh, consulting for different organizations and it's what I do for a living and I have for a long time. But I've also, I was trained as an interventionist 38 years ago and uh i've done countless of those and and continue to do so i just I did one yesterday and put a lovely young lady in treatment she she actually thanked me was which is unusual believe me but she thanked me for helping i'm i'm sure she'll call me up at some point and tell me i've you know 
I'm trying to kill her by <laughs> doing this to her. But, you know, that's fine. She can call me up and say that just as many times as she wants, as long as she stays there. You know, she can say, I don't care what she says to me. I don't take it personally. She's just telling me that it's hard, and I already know that. Um, but in in doing all that training and supervising and, and all of that stuff, um, what I talk about a lot is getting sober is the most remarkable thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And I've had some remarkable events many of which we haven't talked about, take place in my life. Um, but what... Stopping drinking and using helped create a foundation upon which I could stand a free man, no longer enslaved by alcohol or drugs. Now, that's a foundation for life. Now, what are you going to do? Now what do you do? What now? Okay, you're back in the game. We got you back in the game. We will sustain you in that regard as a community. You can stick with us. Come visit us every day. Call us. Talk to us on the phone every day. Engage us on multiple levels every day. We'll be there for you. But if you want your life, you have to go create that. And we'll offer a multitude of suggestions and thoughts and ideas, but you will have to take action. You will have to go out into the world. And it, you know, and, and anything like that is best done with a plan. So I wrote down a plan. This is what I want. Uh, I want a life that does this because very early on in this, a friend of mine said, I thought it's, I think it's amazing that, we all gave, let you go. We all let you go because we knew you were going to die. Because none of us could stand up to you. None of us could stand up to the magnitude of the pain and the, and the things that you had seen. None of us could, could say, you shouldn't feel this way or you shouldn't do what you're doing because it, we, we couldn't tell you not. We couldn't tell you to just stand in the suffering Unaided, we 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 just—it was too much. Because I could look at anybody and say, "Do you have malignant cancer? No, then get away from me. You, you got a dead family? No, then get off. Step off." I mean, I could push anybody away, and they just say, "It's too hard to deal with him, right?" But when I got cleaned up, this friend of mine said, "I want to send you. You got this." real high IQ and you've got a learning disability and you know, you're such a mixed bag, right? I'm going to send you this, this uh, job counseling service and they'll, they'll test you and do this and see what you're good at. And, and so I went to this place and they, this friend of mine paid for this for me to go. And I got all these tests done and everything. And they said to me, you got a very high IQ. You got a learning disability. I already knew that. And they said, you know what you can do it. Your problem isn't, you're, you're good at one thing, but you have a skill set that can be applied to a lot of things. You can go be a lawyer, a doctor, you can go be, and I had been accepted to law school earlier in my life. And, and you know, you can do, you can build a business, you can be a businessman, entrepreneur, blah, 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 right? Who cares? Um, but they said, you're going to have to understand this, though, because you, you, you can either make a lot of money or you can do good works. You cannot do both. And I will never forget that as long as I live. I thought that was so insulting that that was the nature of the world we live in. That you would have to, as a man, you would have to choose a selfish, self-serving life or a life of poverty, walking the earth, spreading the good word and seeking alms, you know what I mean? It's like, no, I, I reject this notion completely. And I went out and I built a company and the mission statement of every company I've ever been a part of that I've built, and I built three or four successful companies in my life. The mission statement has always been make a lot of money doing the right thing. Because if I'm going to work, I want to make money. <laughs> Right, and I've been very fortunate in that regard. Right, but 
I want to do the right thing. And I'm not going to make money at the expense of another person. I'm not going to do it lying to people. I'm not going to misrepresent misrepresent myself. I'm not going to make it on the backs of other people. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what was done to me coming up when I was first starting to go to work. I was the, you know, I always got the short end of the stick because I was the little guy, you know, with no money. Right. So when I got to the point where I wasn't that guy anymore and I would have that guy work for me, I would treat those people so much better than I was treated because I swore I would never do that to somebody. So I've always done that. I've left more money than you could believe on the table. I walked away from it because I was unwilling to cut corners or do that thing that takes you into the gray area that, you know, won't put you in jail, but it's absolutely unethical. I won't do those things. And and they're done in my business. They're done all the time. And anybody wants to take exception to that, you know, (laughs) give them my number. (laughs) Cause that's, that isn't even close. To being is that is that just barely true, Earl? Is that just 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 slightly correct? No, that is not. <laughs> that is rampantly true. That is abundantly true. <laughs> <laughs> and it pisses me off because you know I, I wish it wasn't, but it is. And it's all based on financial fears, so, you know, you know fear people it's amazing you can tell a guy look here's 200 bucks you can have it right now but if you work with me for the next week there's two grand at the end of the week they'll take the 200 bucks out of your hand and run away that's that's a lot of people mm-hmm. and i get it but when i counsel people and i talk to people i i try to tell them you know, you know patience man you know play the long game Act like you're actually that, and which is is an odd notion for an addict. Is to play the long game. Do it like you're going to be here a while. You know, because right. when you're an addict, you're not counting on that. <laughs> 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 you know, I may not be here for the long game, so I'm going to play the short game. No, now we're clean. Let's try the long game. Let's see what let's let's see what a five year plan could look like which is forever to people like us, <laughs> you know? I mean, yeah. one of the funniest things I ever heard was a junkie friend of mine. He got clean and we were talking and, and he goes, um, he, he was just at a detox. So he was still, you know, maybe two months at a detox. So I mean, he was, he was still coming around, you know? And he comes up to me and goes, Earl, dude, yeah, yeah I gotta, I gotta tell you something, man. I go, and he goes, I had no idea days were so long. (laughs) And he wasn't being facetious. I mean, when you're nodded out half the time, you don't know what 24 hours can bring. You don't know how much you can get done in a day when you're awake for all of it. (laughs) And I just thought that that was just such a poignant telling statement with this look of genuine you know amazement on his face I had no idea days were so long like this one day at a time thing's not as snappy as you think you know (laughs) you know I can see now why it's one day at a time because that's a hell of a long time one day you know what I mean I've had I have had many inappropriate urges and it's just now breaking noon Right, <laughs> so you got you got you got you got to work hard at this. And I said, "Yes, brother, you're catching on." You know? Right now, you don't like that days are so long. The time's coming where you're going to regret how quickly they pass. Right. That's how beautiful it gets. Yeah, yeah. You can't get enough of it. So, you know, it's. Getting started is way different than being in it. Newly, newly sober is way different than being sober. It's way different. Because, you know, it's a shocking transition. 
Everybody thinks that the detox is, you know, no. Beginning, middle, and end, detox. Transition back into life? Ugh, years. Years of rebuilding. Years of of learning. Year, uh, basic stuff. Owning up to things that are so embarrassing. To be 30 years old and to tell someone you don't know how to balance a checkbook. To be 35 years old and tell somebody, could you teach me how to go to the market? Mm-hmm. Um, having never been on a job interview, don't have a resume. How do I get one? What do I, you know, what? How do I get a job when I've never had a job? Right? How do I, if I can't hit people anymore, how do I act? What do I do when people say things that offend me? <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> right? I mean, these are questions normal people never even consider. <laughs> That's right. You know, I mean, I was in the back of a of a gathering one day, and why this one guy was talking to another guy, and the guy turned around to me and he looked at me and he smiled and he says, You know, that guy was just talking to me, and he doesn't realize that during the conversation there were two points where under back back in, in the in the mix, back back in the heat, um, I'd have stabbed him twice in that conversation. And all I did was just mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Nod, and uh, he has no idea that who he was talking to, and that you know, if it wasn't for this place and what I've learned here, he wouldn't have got out that door. And I remember looking at him, going, "I really appreciate you telling me that, so I know now to be really careful when I talk, because <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get stabbed." Right? <laughs> I, I didn't know you were that touchy. You know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, people don't. People come into recovery because they're broken. That's why they come. And people think that you can do thirty days in some building with some people asking you how you're doing and making sure you don't have a seizure, giving you a few tips on and ideas in thirty days. You know, you, you can't get a lot in thirty days. Stop the bleeding. Stabilize the client. You know, give them some tools to bridge from treatment into recovery. They come into recovery and everybody goes, oh, yeah, you made it here. Everything. It's all good. No, it's not. How, what, what percentage of people in recovery do you think suffer from, an, from an, a, a co-occurring disorder? Some mental health issue or concern. Right. You, you're Trauma. How, how many of the women you think coming in off the street? Have suffered some form of trauma. The percentage is extremely high. Has they have they has it been addressed at all? No. So they're getting triggered left and right, you know. And and we're acting like you know, hey, you know, you're sober now. Act like it. Okay. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean. I just think that we, 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 we could be so much better at how we communicate with each other. And, and there's, a, there's a book that that particular organization has, and, and there's a line in it that says, science uh, has not may one day, but hasn't accomplished this, but hasn't done so yet, meaning understand how to fix this, right? And but from the time that was written to now, there's been a tremendous amount of science that has taken place, and there's a tremendous amount of information that we have now that we didn't have then, and we should be using it, right? Well, I, I'll give you a perfect example of how things change. In that particular text, it talks about how we trudge the road of happy destiny, and that sounds like you know we're just slogging along and trudging the road, <laughs> you know, like this is going to be really. Gray is what this is going to be. You know, this this isn't going to have a lot of rainbows in it. Right? We're going <laughs> to trudge the road. But if you look in a 1939 dictionary, the word trudge means to walk with purpose. So, in fact, we're misreading that sentence. Trudging the road of happy destiny means that we are now people who walk with purpose. 
So that begs the question, what is that? What is that purpose? Is it the same for all of us? According to the book, in, the, in, in, in terms of what they're saying, yes. And, and that is, is that we, you know, engage in these three legacies, the unity, service, and recovery. There's this ancient spiritual symbol, which is a circle with a triangle in it, right? And it's, an, it's, it, it's, it means universally, it means mind, body, and spirit brought together as a whole human being, the circle. And that's the balance that we seek, right? And never find drunk or sober unless we seek it. This organization adopted that symbol, and it's the same thing. Instead of unity, service, and instead of mind, body, and spirit, it's unity, service, and recovery. Unity is the body. I stick with my community. I know I couldn't do it alone, but I can do it if I stick with my fellows. Recoveries of the mind, the greater aspect of my disease. This thing, this, the, 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 the persistence of this illusion that I can drink like a normal man is astonishing. Many of us pursue it to the gates of insanity and death. And I quote from that text. That's not me. That's somebody else saying that. I'm parroting. Um, so you, you work the program that's outlined there and it relieves you of the obsession of the mind. That does not happen overnight, right? But when that does happen, you're free. Suddenly you're free for the first time. You're no longer enslaved by alcohol or drugs. You don't have that beast whispering in your ear telling you that this time it'll be different. You're, you're, you're brought back into the reality of what it is you're confronted by. This disease that will get you, you know, it doesn't take, you don't have to drink for two weeks to get in trouble again. You just need to have one. Because one will do two things. The minute I take a drink, I remove myself from that community. I'm out. Not that they push me out. He said, I've removed myself. I'm no longer sober. And that's a sober group. So if I take a drink, I'm acknowledging I'm not sober, right? One drink. But what that drink also does is it affects my consciousness, which is the point of a drink, just enough for me to think, well, that went okay. And the minute I think that, what's the next thought? One more couldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. One more couldn't hurt. Boom. Six hours later, it's on. It's on. <laughs> that life is I, vaguely familiar. I'm <laughs> moving in another direction now, man. I'm in. And that's why I need to stay close to my community. I need to be free of that thinking because it's not about stopping. It's about staying stopped. How do you stay stopped? And that's what those three legacies of unity, service, and recovery bring to us, right? Is that ability to comfortably stay stopped. I stay with my community. I work those steps to be relieved of the obsession. I stay with the third side is I'm of service to other people, spirituality, service. How can I help, right? And what I do is I help other people and I take them through that process. So I'm always in contact with that second leg, those steps. So I'm constantly in the process that keeps me comfortably stopped. So it, it I mean, look, I, I, I walked in one day and I know as this old duffer from uh, Olive Branch, Mississippi, Franklin W. from Olive Branch, Mississippi, this old dude, right, was, was talking. I walked in and I went, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> because I was just so willing to accept anything new. <laughs> Immediate. What the hell's going on? <laughs> right? Uh, automatically suspicious. Just, like, who is this guy? And he was Franklin W. from Olive Branch, Mississippi. He was one of the first circuit speakers going around trying to keep some continuity in what was going on. And Franklin said, I'll sum it all up for you in six words. And I said, stood back there thinking, sure you will. <laughs> of course you will, Franklin. Yeah, I'm sure Dunkin' Donuts is going to be two of them, right? <laughs> and, and he goes, he says, trust God, clean house, 
and help others. Six words. And I had a spiritual experience and just started crying in the back of the room. And like six guys sitting in the back row, right, right turned around and looked at me and went, what? Franklin got that dude. Like <laughs> That dude's a mess. And they were pointing <laughs> at me because I was just, you know, lip sucking crying. You know what I mean? Not just tears, but I mean. I was just shattered by six words. Because the minute he said it, I just went, true. That's truth. He just spoke the truth. Because I've been around here for five years now, and I picked up a lot of gems, and I haven't ever, I've never found anything that was the glue that could hold, pull them all together, keep them all together. He just told me what the glue is. Those yeah. six words. Because when you look at those steps that they want, it's about three relationships. A relationship with God, a relationship with self, and a relationship with others. That's the whole team, man. There's nobody else to play with. There's nobody else to play with. And that's that's how you engage in those, right? If you what you want to do is build a life based upon this foundation of freedom from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, of mind and body, both. Mm. It's a disease that affects both the mind and the body, right? And and I do. So what I've done is chop the wood and carry the water of that organization. That's all I've ever done. Nothing special. That's all I've ever done. And in my work, right, It's there's a combination of the science, the the clinical skill set, and this educational component based on the social model of recovery that we see as the most effective model of staying stopped in the world today. And we combine those things and we try to tailor and customize care for individuals so that we don't just get them sober and send them out into the world because for a lot of people, that's just taking their medicine away. That's all it is. You know, mm. but, but recognizing that some of these people are deeply scarred, deeply hurt, and they need some additional assistance. Maybe that's therapy. Maybe that's uh, um, uh, um, an, an aftercare organization where they get together with people and they can talk about stuff that you can't talk about in those other gatherings. Because right. they have a singleness of purpose, which is absolutely appropriate and correct, in my opinion. And then, then if you got other problems, cool, we get it. Go get outside help. And my response to that is, yeah, I agree with that 100% right this way. Here's outside help. Right? And Because what I noticed was this. Treatment centers popped up all over the world. I started in the 80s. And treatment centers were coming all over. I was one of the first interventionists in L.A. that became well-known. And, you know, I was getting a lot of high-end clientele and business was booming. I was making a ton of money. I, you know, I was working, you know, 70 hours a week minimum. You know, I just, you know, no days off for, you know, five years, right? Working and building and working and building. Because remember, it's like, make a lot of money, doing the right thing. That's what I was doing, Right. And so, and you know, and people were getting into recovering. People were getting into treatment and then recovery. People were getting into treatment and then recovery. People who wouldn't go to detox and then go to meetings with me, I was getting them into treatment. Right? I was talking. I, you know, getting their families and I was doing interventions and I was. It was working. You know what I mean? It was working. It was, and it was all in a loving and respectful way. It wasn't this, you know, aggressive, you know, hostage taking stuff that people like to think. Oh, I know all about intervention. I've watched the TV show. <laughs> well, listen, I was one of the first guys they asked to be on that show, and I told them where they could stick it because that's a peep show. That's fifty-eight minutes of following an active addict around. And watching their family wring their hands. And then two minutes of the most basic, retarded intervention work I've ever seen in my life. You know, all and everybody all knows what's going to happen before. I mean, it's a TV show, for Christ's sake. And then they go, we sent him to, we sent the so-and-so to this treatment center, and he's now got 60 days sober and works there as a counselor. You know, and you're like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a middle name yet. 
<laughs> and you got to count, you know, not counsel, but, you know, he's a tech somewhere. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to, so that, no, if you, if you watch that, no, you don't know anything about what I do. Because what I learned was that the people that were leaving treatment and going to recovery, the greatest amount of relapse that was taking place was taking place in that 30, first 30 days out, out of treatment. And then 30 to 60 days out of treatment. That right in there was the majority of relapse. They weren't making it across the bridge from treatment into recovery. They weren't making it. So my career has pretty much been honed down to what are we not doing to get people through that 60 days? They need to be leaving treatment with more and they need to be embraced in a more significant fashion on the other side. So I happen to be a part of both communities. So I pound the table in, in both areas. You know? And make a lot of ignorant enemies. You know? Some people like to stay stupid. But, you know, I, I can't be bothered with that. What do you mean by that? Make enemies? Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, you know, you're, you're one of those, you know, $30,000 big booker. You know what I mean? Or, you know, you're a two, you're a two hatter. You work two hatter. You're a two hatter. You work in that, in them recovery places. You, you recover for money, son. We gave it to you for free and you go there and you use it. And I go, I'll tell you what, you come, you come do an intervention with me. And if you see, and I, and you write, take, make a list of the skills you see me use, the tactics you see me use, right? The talents that I demonstrate in effective, meaningful, customized, right, full spectrum behavioral health intervention. You see me do that. And then, then let's you and me go to those other meetings. I'll go to a thousand of them with you. And if you can hear one of the tools I use in intervention mentioned in one of those meetings, I'll give you a thousand bucks. And I don't have to carry the money around with me because I know I'm never going to have to pay you. Because I go to a lot of those meetings to this day. I, it, what worked at 40 days works just fine at 40 years. Right? Go to regular meetings regularly, have a sponsor, work the steps, and get out of yourself and be a service to other people. Those four things. I did them. I was told to do them when I was new. I do them now. That's chopping the wood and carrying the water. And I do it now. You know why? Because I'm still who, I'm still me. I am a handful. Currently. <laughs> <laughs> and, that's, and I know that's not going to change. I'm wound tight. I'm a type A dominant male. And I, I roll. I move. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to... When, when My tombstone is going to say, he used it all up. What lies here is the husk of Earl H. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, we, there was nothing else left. I'm already so much older than I ever thought I'd get. I mean... And I went. I actually had to go into therapy because I had no images of myself later in life. I had no idea what it would be like to be uh, forty-five, and I was pushing thirty at the time. I didn't think I'd live that long, and I damn near didn't. That's the thing is, when I went in, they put me in the hospital. They, t I said, "How bad?" And they went, "That close, kid. <laughs> that close. Your thyroid shut down. Your kidneys and your liver are malfunctioning. Your heart." Is have your pericardium is swollen? You're ripe for a heart. You're just ripe for a heart attack and aneurysm. You're in bad, 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 bad shape physically. I was sick for two first two and a half years sober, physically sick. Um, I, I I took I beat myself almost to death. And what I found out was is I'm pretty tough. It's not a skill I can take credit for. I just, I'm just born that way. I mean, I just, that's my genetics. That's the people I come from. We're hard headed, tough, little sons of bitches. Well, all of us, right? And from the Midwest, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you, you, you want to take us down, you, you, it's got to be, it's going to have to be a headshot because nothing else will <laughs> stop us. And I've learned how to, Bring it down. 
bring it down, Earl, because you're a handful, and a lot of people get a little freaked out by you. So just bring it down and be gentle. Be gentle. Be strong enough as a man to learn how to be gentle with yourself and gentle with other people. Be much more effective at making a lot of money doing the right thing. Demonstrate the kindness and the love. Not the strength. They'll see the strength. They'll know you're strong. They'll know that you can take it. They know that having you as a friend is that you'll stand up. You're a stand-up guy. You know, you're a good guy to have as a friend. They'll know all that. But first, what they need to know is that you're approachable, that you're kind, <laughs> you know, that, that right. you are those things. So that, lead with that. So I've learned to lead. How I learned that was a guy who loved me in AA told me, you need to meditate every morning. It will save your life. And handed me a piece of paper with a phone number on it. And I said, okay. And I called that guy. And did a six-week course in meditation, and I've meditated every morning for 25 years now. Which is how I can bring it down from where I was just 30 seconds ago to where I am now. I'm doing it in one breath. Just close my eyes, breathe in, breathe out, and welcome to this side of me. The side that won't hurt you. The side that will give love. The side, you know, which which is, I think is what it's really all about anyway, you know? I mean, what's the one thing that I can do that everybody can understand, can accept, and can feel better as a result of? Love. So give love. Yes. Oh, would you so like to say something? No, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't. Want to. <laughs> I don't I, I'm not interested in saying. Well, we're we're kind of reaching the end of our time. But here, here is here's what I love. I had a kind of a general idea of some things that I was thinking about covering with you before we began. We got to zero of it, and I'm really happy about that, actually, because this is part of what this podcast is about, right? I, 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 like, to, I, I, I like to give folks like you a platform, and this has been exhilarating for me. You can see me taking a lot of notes over here. Yeah. Uh, part of the reason I take notes is to, you know, I want to go back and remember what we covered and make some notes of it and intro the, 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 the episode and all that, but the other reason is because I get juiced by hearing people like you that are passionate about particular subjects who are a handful and, and, and I want to remember it. And okay. So this is not going to be our last session together. Are you okay with that? Sure. Just all I'm basically saying is I think that we're real good at what we do, but we can be better. We can always be better. So let's be better. Just can't forget the, the, the principal tenants, you know? You got to keep those strong. Trust God, clean house, and help others. Give love. Trust That's God, it. clean house, help others. Yeah. And the other Thank thing you, that Franklin I... W. And what? Thank you, Franklin W., who got that from Bill Smith. Doctor, I'm Dr. Bob Smith. Bob Smith. Bob Smith, right, yeah. yeah. Sorry, for a second there, I just melded two guys. <laughs> well they kind of are uh the same yeah, for so. us exactly all right so i'm gonna wrap it up here with page 164 of the big book of alcoholics anonymous abandon yourself to god as you understand god admit your faults to him and to your fellows clear away the wreckage of your past by the way, I will meant to, I, and, and I'm starting here at the end, but I will say that just above this is we realize we know we know only a lot little. God will yeah. constantly disclose more to you and to us, which you what you referenced yeah. during the episode. Anyway, let me go back here. It says, give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Earl. As you trudge the road of happy destiny, we already talked about what that meant on the episode. Yep. May God bless you 
and keep you until then. Earl, you're a treasure. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll talk about this afterwards. Take care of yourself. Hear. I'll hear from you. We'll, we'll, we'll play some more. It's fun. That sounds great. All right. I would love to hear from you what you thought about Earl or any of the other guests that we have. I'm at John, J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. I so much enjoyed spending time with Earl. You could probably tell. And uh, we're going to have him back on some episodes here in the near future. Now, on to a little bit of a listener feedback. Barry writes in, and the subject line is, Howdy, cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) this is barry he is from uh across well it says right here well tally ho john it's your old friend barry from across the pond barry lives uh in uh england and he says uh so it's like this john a week ago i had lunch with a client in london all good Came home and went for a run. All good. Had a shower. Eat dinner with the family. Still all good. 10 p.m. A sore throat begins. 12 p.m. I'm sweating like a turkey the night before Christmas. (laughs) 1 a.m. I'm so fatigued. I feel like it's Ramadan. (laughs) I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think it's because you fast during Ramadan. I'm not sure. I'd really have to look that up. But anyway, he says, the next morning, I test positive for Omicron. Is it Omicron? No, Omicron, right? For the first time. Now, at this stage, I'm feeling positive. This is a, quote, milder variant, and I've had three vaccinations. I'm going to feel a little groggy for a few days, right? Oh, my God, I was wrong with about six exclamation points. And then he has all these, it, when he sends me smiley faces, all these smiley faces have cowboy <laughs> That's all I guess because I'm from Texas. Anyway, he says it's been seven days of hell in the quote kingdom of Omicron. <laughs> and then he's got all these clown faces. He's Barry has more emojis than anybody I've ever met. Then he says night sweats, throat infections, severe fatigue, nausea, headache feeling like a beat-up porcupine on the side of a dusty trail. (laughs) I guess that's another kind of uh, uh, Westerner uh, or Texas kind (laughs) of reference there. Anyway, he goes on. He says, so what did I do for the next seven days and seven nights as I wrestled with the serpent of the Omicron? He says, I'll tell you what I did. I listened to Sober Speak episodes over and over and over again with three exclamation points. I can feel, quote, the demons of Omicron. And then he's got this big devil emoji. Leaving, although they are not in a rush. <laughs> I can feel the demons of Omicron leaving, although they are not in a rush. I'm just glad I had the Sober Speak back catalog to work work through. And Sober Speak, I trust. Be careful out there, people, if you can't wear a mask. And then he's got, oh gosh, I, 10 different... <laughs> Of these various emojis. And then he said, and I wrote back and I told him to to hang in there. And he said, "Uh, I'm hanging in there, John. Mr. Omicron hasn't quite left the building. I feel like a battered bozo on the back of the bus. (laughs) Anyway, Barry, I hope you're feeling well. And I'm glad that the Sober Speak catalog was able to entertain you in the meantime. Mandy writes in, and Mandy says uh, her the subject line is Don J. She's referring to Don J. The episode number two, three, four 
The one that says, behind these walls is where I found God. She says, hi, John. It's oh Mandy here again. Oh, that's right. I forgot. She had written in before. Well, I'll just go ahead. And, and I started singing, oh, Mandy, where well, you came and you gave, will I take it? And I sent you away, oh, Mandy. I started singing that or something like that. So she's referencing, it's oh, Mandy here again. She says, please let Don Jay know he was wonderful. I really enjoyed listening to him. John, you and your podcast are amazing and has become uh, my favorite. Keep them coming. Well, I'm keeping them coming, Ms. Mandy. I appreciate you listening in, and you're right, Don Jay is absolutely fantastic. That was such a cool time recording that and editing it and getting it put out and knowing uh, uh, what all was going to hit the internet. And, you know, I'm just glad I could get somebody like him recorded uh, before they're gone, because a lot of all those old timers are going to be gone, uh, you know, over the next 10 years. And uh, anyway, he's just really a cool guy. Allison writes in and Allison says, hi, John, I live in Marriott, Georgia. And she says, I am an Allen honor. My husband has four years of sobriety and has been in Allen and I have been in Al-Anon for a little less than four years. I go to two meetings a week and love it. Unfortunately, I did not have any Al-Anon knowledge while going through the insanity of living with an alcoholic. I still don't like saying that word. It's awful. My husband of almost 20 years was not the person I knew and loved, and I did not know what was wrong. Also, my sister was on again, off again, uh, was an on again, off again prescription drug user and died in 2015 due to her long-term use. Again, no Al-Anon for anyone in my family dealing uh, with her. I finally had enough and, and locked my husband, who had had an affair while drinking uh, with his partner in crime, uh, out of our house. We had an 11-year-old son at the time. After six weeks, my husband checked himself into a rehab facility and has thrived ever since. He loves the AA program and is doing amazingly well. So great. Six exclamation points. She said, I go to his meeting one time a month when it's an open meeting and they have a speaker. I found Sober Speak through the Recovery Show podcast. I love Sober Speak, partly because of the 12 steps apply to my life, not just to sobriety. I wish kids in school were taught a version of the 12 steps. I also love hearing the stories as it helps me understand the disease better and gives me great info for living my life as well. I love listening to Matthew M, Bill C, Charlie P, Julia K, Gary K, and most recently, Katie P. Wow, just wow. Thanks for hosting such a great podcast, Allison. Oh, that's really nice, Allison. I appreciate you so much writing in. I really do. I appreciate everyone who writes in. And once again, if you want to write in, I'm at John, J-O-H-N, at SoberSpeak.com. I always love to hear from uh, listeners, uh, especially when they mention you know some of the other speakers and the guests that we have on here. I just love it. Thank you very much. Nathan writes in, and Nathan says, Hi, John. My name is Nathan, I and I am an alcoholic. I am an alcoholic. I am also an Al-Anoner. And then he puts, and that's exactly what Allison said right before this, by the way. He said, is that even a real term? You know, Nathan, I very much doubt if you look that up in the big book, or excuse me, if you look that up in a dictionary, you would find the term Alan Honor, but I do hear it passed around quite a bit. Uh, he says, I am from the United Kingdom, but do not sound like the accent you put on when you read letters. <laughs> When you read letters from the UK, I have a Midlands accent. Oh, if you want to give that a go, I don't know exactly what a Midlands accent is. I'd have to hear a Midlands person talking in their accent to be able to mimic it in a very 
poor, <laughs> bad way, but I could try. But nonetheless, Nathan goes on. I've been a long-time listener discovering your podcast in August of 2018 when I was only a few months sober. You and your amazing guests have kept me sober and continue to keep me sober. I will always be grateful. I am writing you to tell you of a situation I have recently experienced in case my experience can help others. I recently had a major, quote, mess up, unquote. That is the clean version of the term. It is the kind of serious mess up that could get very public very quickly. The sort of thing where you put on your television and see yourself on there and everyone hates you. When I realized the full gravity of the situation, I immediately felt like the worst human on the earth. This used to fuel my drinking. When I felt this horrible about myself, when I felt worthless, I just drank more and more, which of course led to more and more consequences, which led to feeling even worse about myself. So, last week when I felt so low, so worthless, and I was dwelling on the problems I have just caused others, my sober brain de-evolved back into my drinking brain, and I was going to drink. Had I had any beer or rum in the house, I would have lost my four years of sobriety in an instant. Sobriety dissolves in alcohol. <laughs> they should put that on the label. That's pretty good. I like that. I don't think I've ever heard that. He said, I was sober enough and recovered enough, though, to do the right things. I sent up the red flares. I called numbers of people in the fellowship and left danger messages if they did not answer. I rang people I trusted who I knew had had a slip at some point in the fellowship. I just kept calling until I got someone. Immediately, they started to help to help me see a different perspective. The danger started to lessen. Then all of the people that had a danger message started getting back to me, and I spent the large part of the next 24 hours on the telephone to people in the fellowship. The mess up, the mess up did not change. The mistake and the huge problems I have caused a great many people have not gone away. However, my perspective is what has changed. That's great. I'm glad you reached out like that. That's very great, Nathan. He said, I was reminded of my primary purpose too, to stay sober and help other alcoholics. So while I was in a desperate state, I was made to stop thinking about me and to think about others I could help. I would not I would not have thought like that on my own. I needed help from the fellowship to get me away from my solitary thinking and just stop thinking about myself. My perspective has changed when I was made to accept that I was no longer in control of all of the decisions that would be made following my mess up. Yes, I caused it, but I cannot change I cannot change what happens next. And then here in big capital letters. Oh, and this was the uh, the title of the actual the of the subject line of the um, email. It says, "I am sober today, and it is not because of me." Let me read that, and that's a point that Nathan wanted to get across. In big capital letters, once again, "I am sober today, and it is not because of me." He goes on, John, there are many people listening who have recently had a major mess up and are close to losing their sobriety. If my experience of turning to other alcoholics for help when you would rather not have to explain your major mistake, but you do it anyway to stay sober, then I hope me sharing this with you can help them stay sober. And if you're out there listening to that, I hope that this... Um, is an inspiration for you to do and take some of the same actions that Nathan has take, taken. Anyway, he says, thanks, John, for all the hard work you put in. You're really making a difference in the world. And you probably could imagine when the, oh, you are making a difference in a world you probably could not imagine when you were drinking. That's the truth. That's the truth. Take care, Nathan. Oh, Nathan. 
That's so cool that you did all that. Uh, and I'm glad you're on the right track and you're sharing your experience. And, uh, you know, like it says in the big book, uh, our deepest, darkest, I'm, I'm going to bastardize this, but there's, there's something in the book that says to the effect of uh, our, our deepest, darkest experience can be our greatest asset. And it uh, looks like you are taking advantage of that. God bless you, Nathan. And finally... Yes, finally, last but not least, Landon writes in. He says, hi, John. Thank you so much to, for your service to the recovery community. I drive a lot for work, and I really enjoy the, quote, meeting between meetings. I'll have three years of sobriety on May 7th. In the middle of the herd at my local AA chapter in Carrollton, Georgia, he says, I have a sponsor, I sponsor other men, and I ran across your podcast just searching for recovery podcasts to listen to while driving. I've really enjoyed every single uh, episode of Sober Speak that I've listened listen to so far i think my favorite is gary k though i love that guy's insight i gotta get him back on nathan i gotta get him back on i've, I've been thinking about that lately nonetheless when i say him gary k all right everybody that is uno mas episode of sober speak thank you for tuning in uh as i always say i take this one week at a time I hope to be back next week. Until then, may God bless you and keep you until then. Keep coming back. It works if it, excuse me. It works if you work it. God bless you. Love you.